Good morning. My name is Jerry Schoberg, and I'm just one of those who belongs here. <laughs> the psalm for this morning is Psalm 19, which we will read responsively with a sung refrain. So I'll ask Wendy if she would play first, and the singers if they would uh, sing it second time, and then we all will join in the third time through for the refrain. Attend to my cry, O God. Listen, Listen to, to my prayer, prayer from my lips do not, not lie. Let judgment in my favor come forth from your presence, and let your eyes discern what is right. If you examine my heart, if you visit me by night, if you test me, you will find no wickedness in me. As for what others do, according to the command of your lips, I have kept from traveling with the violent. My steps have been firm in your paths, and my feet have not stumbled. Lord, be as the apple of your call upon you, God, for you will answer me. Incline your ear to me and hear my words. Show me the wonders of your steadfast love, for by your right hand you saved from their enemies those who take refuge in you. Guard me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings from the wicked who assail me from deadly foes who surround me. As for me, I shall see your face, because my plea is just. When I awake and see your face, I shall be satisfied. The Gospel reading this morning is from the Gospel according to St. Matthew in chapter 14. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, 
and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, We have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. And then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds and all ate and were filled. And they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 baskets full. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. This is the gospel of Christ. Let us pray. Lord, may these human words, human words that by themselves can do nothing, we give them to you that you may fill them with your abundance and multiply your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. So here we have Jesus exhausted, withdrawn by boat to a place all by himself, the desert, the wilderness where he could be all alone. Apparently, though, Jesus can't go anywhere without crowds figuring out where he is and trailing after him. It's like sitting down after a hard day's work, and then the phone from work rings with another crisis or you know, there's just another thing that the kids need. Jesus just can't escape the people and their needs. Jesus, though, unlike you or I, appears to have an endless supply of energy, time, and compassion because when he hits the shore in his boat, he goes right back to healing the sick and curing illnesses. It's, you know, it's just like a little catnap, and then off Jesus goes again, healing hands put right back into action. And not only that, but it looks like he puts in another solid full day of work. The great physician's office hours, you know, extend way into the evening, way past dinner time. And so, since he's working way past dinner time, well, people are starting to get hungry. They're starting to expect something to eat. Problem is that they're in the desert, they're in the wilderness, so you know, just imagine like a music festival like Burning Man, you know. I thought that that was funny, I don't know. 
Not everybody knows what Burning Man is, and that's fine. That's completely okay. Basically, it's like having a music festival in the desert, the wilderness, you know. Just imagine, like, way out in the Nevada bush. There's no food trucks, no water, no services or anything. So Jesus' disciples, his followers, offer a reasonable suggestion that Jesus just wraps things up for the day so everybody can go home, grab a bite to eat, and get a good sleep and maybe come back in the morning. Now, like I said, it's a completely reasonable suggestion, one I would make in a minute. But one thing about Jesus we know, though, is that he is not always entirely reasonable. They can stay right where they are, Jesus says. You give them something to eat. Just, so you, just you know, go out there and feed them. Now, you know, the great writer and novelist C.S. Lewis once said that Jesus was either a liar, a madman, or the Messiah. And no, no, no doubt at this point the disciples are leaning towards the madman thing. Because all they have is five loaves of bread and two fish. Now, I don't know how far a loaf of bread goes in your household. You know, it's lucky to make it past a few days in mine. But five loaves for 5,000. Sure, he can heal people, but here we're talking about bare numbers and facts. Jesus has to be mad or just bad at math. He just doesn't know how few loaves they actually have. Of course, if you're familiar with the Bible at all, you'll know what happens next. Jesus gathers the crowds around, and then he looks up to heaven, blesses the bread, and passes it back to the disciples for distribution. Miraculously, the crowd is fed, not only fed, but filled, it says, completely satisfied, like it's a full belly feast with 12 baskets of leftovers. There's so much. There's abundant, absolute abundance. Jesus takes what they have and feeds the 5,000. Now, this is one of Jesus' many miracles, perhaps his most famous. You can see the loaf and the fish on the banners behind us. It's pretty crucial, but it's notable for the fact that it's the only miracle that shows up in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all together, all four biographies of Jesus' life. It's in there, which suggests that it's something that the early writers of the Gospels and the early Christian communities wanted us to pay attention to. They thought that it was important. It's here because it's worth our time. Now, why is that? Well, the most obvious thing is what we might call the wow factor, right? I mean, there were only a few loaves of bread, a couple of fish in the beginning, and then boom, there's enough to satiate the crowd in a small stadium. It's incredible. It's not something you see every day. Evidence that Jesus is who he says he is. If Jesus can do that, well, he must be a special person indeed. It's a pretty basic point. It's the wow factor. If you can copy and paste enough bread and fish to feed 5,000, then Jesus isn't a liar, nor is he a madman, but he's the Messiah of God. So, the wow factor is one of the reasons why it's in the Bible. But you know, there's always more to Jesus' miracles than just 
the wow factor, what we might call the literal or the plain sense of the text. In John's gospel, Jesus' miracles aren't called miracles. They're called signs, and signs always point away from themselves to something else. Jesus' miracles all have deeper meaning. This scripture is chock full of this deeper meaning. One deeper meaning worth paying attention to lay in the disciples' response to Jesus' directions. You feed them, he says. And their reply? But we only have five fish, five loaves and two fish. We don't have enough to feed the crowd. Now, often interpreters see this as a lack of faith on the disciples' behalf. If they truly believed that Jesus was the Messiah, then they wouldn't have said anything. They would have just, he would have said, you feed them, and they would have given him the bread and the fish, and then it would have been distributed, and then that would have been the end of it. The meaning that we should believe in Jesus and miracles are possible if you only have faith, what wondrous deeds we could only do if we truly believed. And maybe so. I don't want to discount that, but I also wonder if there's an even deeper point to be made. I think that the disciples were absolutely right. The disciples were absolutely right. They give the only real response that you can give when Jesus says, you feed 5,000 people with what you've got. Because on their own, the disciples can't feed them. On their own, they barely have enough for themselves. The wonder happens only after Jesus blesses what little bread they have. They're right because without Jesus, these guys are just a dozen ordinary men of varying skills and means living off skimpy rations. But with him, with him, they are disciples. With him, they are instruments of the living God. Without him, they're nothing, but with him, they're ready to serve at a banquet table that never empties, equipped to pour out a bottomless grace, one that satisfies the deepest hungers of the human race. The disciples are absolutely right. They do not have enough on their own until they give what they have over to the blessing of Jesus. Now, this is a message that we really need to hear on multiple fronts. The first is the church front. The church, we as members of Christ's body here in this place, need to hear this. We can look at what we have in terms of numbers and people, peeling paint, an aging building. We can look at our energy or lack thereof. We can look at our money, the bottom line, and never see anything more than just what's there. We can open the metaphorical fridge and see a handful of fish and loaves, not enough to do much at all. And we're absolutely right. We are absolutely right. In one sense, we're just a bunch of ordinary sinners gathered in one place. Ordinary 
not particularly extraordinary. I mean, I speak for myself. If you are extraordinary, wonderful. I know that I am not. Where we go wrong is when we don't trust that God, when God is with us, that we can do incredible things. Look at the soup kitchen. It's all run on volunteers, shoestring budget, and yet dozens of people are fed five days a week. That is multiplication right there. It's the kind of thing that happens when we say, here's what we've got, Jesus. <laughs> Run with it. This is a message we need to hear over and over and over that God will use what little we've got to do something good. That's the church front. The second is the personal front. How often do we, how often do you look at what you have and come to the conclusion that it's just not enough? Not enough time, not enough skill to make a difference, not enough love for you, not enough love to truly love your spouse, not enough energy to be a parent, not enough courage or strength to face the troubles of the day, and how much time do you spend wishing you had more of it? How much time do you stare at the overwhelming crowd that is your life and say to yourself, there just isn't enough. How often do you read about the world's crises, want to do something and become completely overwhelmed by your absolute helplessness? How much time do you spend lamenting the five loaves and two fish you've got? Or how much time do you spend hustling for more and more and more so one day you'll have enough? if you just work hard and harder at it. Well, guess what? You're absolutely right. Well done. You're absolutely right. It's not just a matter of figuring out the right technique, reading the right book, or trying harder and harder. You absolutely do not have it in you. You do not have enough. You cannot do it on your own. It is the truth. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Now, the good news is that even though you're right, that you can't do it on your own, you don't have to do it on your own. You don't have to do it on your own. Here Jesus says, you can stop stressing. You can cease striving. You can stop pretending that you can make it on your own. You can stop staring down at, you know, the empty sign on your fuel tank in your car and fantasizing that you have enough gas in the tank to get you to the end of life, your final destination. Because you don't need to can't, but you don't have to because Jesus says, Jesus says what you've got is enough for me. 
it's enough for me. Give me what little you've got, Jesus says, even if all you've got is empty hands, and watch what I can do. Give me what you've got, and I promise that there will always be more than enough. You know, there will be extra baskets left over in the end. Maybe you've heard about Dorothy Day. Dorothy Day was a 20th century journalist and activist who's best known for her work in creating the Catholic Worker Movement, a collection of intentional communities dedicated to hospitality towards the poor and the destitute, often advocating directly on their behalf. I mean, what's interesting is that Dorothy Day wrote four different autobiographies at different parts in her life, and the fourth one, the final one, was named after this miracle in this text. It was called Loaves and Fishes. And you can see how well it fit if you know anything about her life. She ran uh, the newspaper for the Catholic Worker Movement, which operated on a shoestring budget. And there were all sorts of stories about her infuriating the staff, making the staff very upset because she would take their money for rent or paper or supplies, and she'd take it and buy food for homeless people instead. And then the homeless people would kind of hang around the office where she worked create problems. Like the disciples, they didn't think what they had was enough. There were several times, in fact, where it looked like the paper was going to have to fold because Day blew the budget on her friends living on the street. But then, each time, each time, she says, someone would just turn up out of the blue with a check or envelope full of cash as a gift. And the thing was, it was always just enough. I mean, it wasn't more than enough, but it was always just enough to meet the present crisis and to keep the paper from folding. It was because Day believed that the feeding of the 5,000 was not only a miraculous event, but a pattern for living. Her coworkers were 100% right. What they had was not enough. They could not afford to share what they had on their own, but they knew that they weren't on their own. And she could offer what little loaves and fishes they had for God's blessing. And there would always be more than enough left over. This, dear friends, is the message that we need to hear each and every day. It is absolutely true. We, what we have is simply not enough. Whether we're talking church or we're talking about me and you. You, we, simply don't have enough in us to do what we've got to do whether it's feeding the hungry or facing everything in our calendar after coffee time, we don't have enough in us to do it. But the good news is that we do not have to do it on our own. Because even though what we have isn't enough, it's enough for God. 
This is a God who delights in feeding stadiums full with a few crumbs. This is a God who joys in bringing light out of darkness, a whole universe out of nothing. This is a God who rejoices in bringing life out of death, resurrection from an empty tomb. In offering up what little we have, even if what we have is nothing at all, Jesus promises to do what we simply couldn't do ourselves. And you know, we're having Holy Communion later in the service, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. In the same way Christ fed the 5,000, he promises to feed you, to use you as you are and with what you've got for your great good and the good of your neighbor and to God's greater glory. We can't do it on our own. But the good news is that we're not on our own. I offer this to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Please remain standing as we'll join in together in the words, reciting the words of the ancient apostles' creed, putting our hearts to God's promise to be enough now and forever. Let's sing.